You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Third down inches to go. Debater. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front. Down. Back to throw. play what we're trying to get is a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley oh yes the famous Packers sweep you can't tell the history of the Green Bay Packers without that audio clip of of the awesome Vince Lombardi laying out his trademark play the the go-to play what he said the play that we will run again and again and again Uh, you're never going to get a better story of a team an organization um, a coaching staff just lining up mano a mano and saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Try and stop us. And uh, it definitely goes down as one of the one of the great moments in NFL history. And so thankful that NFL films and, and the pioneers that came before um, all of the current day media, which in my opinion would put on the shame, but uh, they took the time to capture moments like that. That's really what makes the NFL so awesome. But welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Packers underscore access. And uh, we are really excited about the show today. We're going to kind of uh, introduce a little bit of an addition to Packers Total Access and uh, and bring in a little bit of history of the Green Bay Packers. We've tossed around the idea of doing a Packers history show. And instead, what we're going to do is kind of shift gears and add a small segment in. And if you guys like it, please give us feedback on Twitter and and let us know. That way we can add to it. As always, we're looking to bring Packer fans what it is they want, not necessarily what we want to do as podcasters, but what do the fans want? What do our fellow uh, Packer backers look for in a great podcast and great content? But the lineup for t- uh, for today's show um, guys, we're going to highlight the best offensive linemen the last two drafts and where they were drafted. If you guys tuned into the last show that we did, we did that with wide receivers and it got great feedback uh, from the community, just kind of giving people an idea of, okay, how how well did rookie wide receivers perform the last couple of years and where were they drafted exactly? To kind of put an, uh, uh, you know a, a time frame on when can you select good wide receivers. Now, typically it's all throughout the entire draft, um, but you're going to have a lot of players there in those first three rounds, and you can kind of see that, yes, there are great players taken in the first round, but also the second, third, and fourth round where you can get great value and not necessarily have to give up a ton of draft capital to select a great player. Well, we're going to do that with offensive line today. And in our Packers history segment, um, we're going to look back at the the five five of the best offensive linemen to ever play in Green Bay and where they were drafted. These are five of my favorites. They're five guys that the pictures are hanging on the wall right here in the Packernet Podcast studios. And um, 
and and kind of lay out who my uh, five favorite offensive linemen are and, again, where they were drafted. And it's kind of cool because two of those players on that list actually predate the NFL draft, which takes you back into some of the great Packers history and some of those Curly Lambeau teams of the past. But as far as the uh, upcoming season, we got a lot of cool dates coming up. You know, we've got obviously uh, the the Packers players are going to report on April 18th. Probably not all the players, but they're going to start their off-season workouts and meetings. I'm really, really excited to see what players actually show up for that. Um, that kind of gives me a gauge on all right, who's really, really um, just a football guy, just someone who can't get away from the game. They want to be a part of. Uh, the process and, and everything that goes into preparing for a season. And and those are the kind of guys that I root for, man. You typically see your Aaron Joneses, your Robert Tunyons, people like that that are in early. And uh, it just makes them fan favorites to me. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of old school. I think hard work pays off, and I, I really appreciate the players that put in the extra time. Now, um, obviously, we got the NFL draft on April 28th. That's going to be Thursday night. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, guys, we're working out the details, but there will be – some sort of live Packernet um, podcast access to the draft. And uh, I don't want to go into great detail because I don't want to misinform you, but I do know that um, be ready. If, if you guys want a Packer, um, a Packer-centered draft party, right, someone that you can, you can follow along and get information fed to you, um, you know, strictly with the Green Bay Packers and, and how they're approaching this draft, then you're going to want to kind of keep your uh, your eyes to uh, Ryan's Twitter and, and other forms of communication, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, what have you. We're going to give, uh, give information out just as soon as it's uh, available, as soon as it's possible. But um, I'm really, really excited about that because essentially what we're looking to try to do is just have a, a, a group hangout where we kind of give multiple opinions on what the Packers should do as the picks all unfold. We'll kind of uh, diagnose those picks to a certain extent, but the... the uh, the motivation behind what we're trying to do, what we're wanting to do, is really out of frustration. Watching the draft, I'm sure you guys and gals have have experienced the same thing. You're sitting here watching the draft. It's the first round. You know, you're they're they're making picks. They'll talk about the pick as it's made. They'll get three or four picks deep, and they're going back and talking about the the pick that was you know that happened 45 minutes ago. The Packers are on the clock. They make their pick. They talk about it for two seconds, and it's not necessarily a personal attack on the Packers. It, this could happen to any of the 32 teams. It's just you don't get that breakdown, that information that you would otherwise get um, if you were following someone who who is strictly a, a Packers supporter or someone who's going to talk about that. So um, I think it's going to be really, really cool. Hopefully everything comes together. And if this is something that you guys want, make sure you communicate with Ryan, with JJ, with myself, everybody on Twitter, and uh, and let's kind of get some steam going behind this project. And uh, th- I think this is on Honestly, going to be the first time of uh, the first of many shows that we're going to do for draft night moving forward. And I'm really, really excited about being a part of it. So um, the draft, like I said, first round Thursday night, April 28th. Then we got OTAs and workouts coming uh, there on May 23rd through the 24th, off and on through June 16th. Then you got mandatory mini camp June uh, 7th through the 9th. And then obviously we'll step into training camp. So season's coming upon us pretty fast. I just think it's important to mention those dates as we go along. And one thing the other to, other, uh, to otherwise mention, 
Free agency isn't over, guys. This is where our front office typically makes their hay. You've now allowed those players to sit out there and get a reality check of, okay, um, you know, maybe the market isn't as hot for me as I thought it was. And this is where Goody can swoop in and make some real deals. I think I don't think he's done signing players. Might not be big name players, but I, I could see him come in at a discounted rate and snatch up a couple of players. You know, someone like a Devondre Campbell or a Russell Douglas or someone like that. I know Russell will sign uh, you know, way, way further into the NFL calendar season. But those are the type of players that our front office front office typically picks up this time of year. So free agency isn't over. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to have some more, more news coming down the pike when it comes to that. All right, so now we're going to jump into our new segment. I am really, really excited about this. This was all Ryan Schlipp's idea, and uh, we wanted to incorporate some Packers history into some of the podcasts. And I'm just going to kind of – kind of jump right in i'm a i'm a history nerd and by far the the best christmas gift i got this year for my wife was a a book series by uh, cliff crystal and it's called the greatest story in sports and it's basically um, the complete history of the green bay packers it's broken down into four volumes it's a a hardback it has awesome pictures articles uh, newspaper clippings old pictures that i have never seen before in my life and I, i really take pride in trying to find old memorabilia when it comes to the Green Bay Packers, but he breaks it down into four volumes, one being the Curly Lambeau founding uh, founding day era, and then you have the Lombardi era into the Dark Ages, the Brett Favre, Mike Holmgren era into current day with the uh, the Super Bowl you know, championship along with Matt LaFleur kind of taking over the Green Bay Packers and, and obviously picking up the baton and running and uh, and. Uh, and doing an excellent job, in my opinion, uh, way better than anyone could ever ask for as far as coming off a uh, Super Bowl with that coaching staff. And I thought no better way to tie it in than we're going to talk about offensive linemen today, right? We're going to talk about the the best picks from last year's draft and the year before's draft so we can kind of get a gauge on where you can find good talent that's going to produce on the field year one and two um, coming from the draft at the offensive line position. And uh but first, we're going to talk about what I what I feel like are the five best offensive linemen in Green Bay Packers history. And I, I think it's no coincidence that three of these linemen were actually coached by Vince Lombardi himself. You know, Lombardi was actually an offensive lineman. A lot of people don't know that. When he went to college and played football, he played at Fordham University. And he was one of the seven blocks of granite at Fordham University. His team offensive line, uh, you know, under, under their coach, Sleepy Jim Crowley, um, and line coach Frank Lay, the uh, you know they basically identified as the seven blocks of granite um, because they were so solid. They were such an effective offensive line. And isn't it funny to think about seven offensive linemen playing at the same time, right? And that was back in the the uh, the big bunch days, right? Back when they would you know a lot of pre snap motion, but all within a phone booth more or less. You know I love see, seeing some of the old Curly Lambeau footage. Where they would come out in the in the T formation, and then they would say down. And when they would say set, it wasn't just a cadence. They would say set. They would shift to the actual set. The defense had a split second to adjust. And then you had chaos, organized chaos. Players running in every direction. You don't know who's got the ball. They very rarely threw the ball until Curly Lambeau com- completely pissed off the entire league by bending the rules and throwing the football more than anyone. But uh, I thought it was important to mention that Vince Lombardi was a very, very good offensive line. He was undersized, 
but they said he was so fiery. He was a guy that just loved the game so much and played it the right way that he was effective, enough so to to be mentioned in that nickname back when, like I said, the media was just way more colorful back then. They had to paint a picture for the people that were watching and listening to the games and all that. and, uh, you know, they, I think in one article in this book, it actually said that the seven blocks of granite rivaled the nickname of Notre Dame, which was the Four Horsemen. If you guys remember that, you can Google that image. And that's a really, really cool shot, too, that they had four backs that were just absolutely awesome. They actually posed them on porch, on, on, on horses and took a picture. It's uh, just a really cool story. But anyway, the, the top five offensive line in the history of the Green Bay Packers, in my opinion, right? And a lot of people agree with this. There's some that had, you know, one or two players ranked ahead of them, but this is mine. I start off with number one, tackle Forrest Gregg. Um, he was the guy that Vince Lombardi labeled as, quote, the greatest player I've ever coached, right? Some people listening to this podcast may be a little bit older. They might remember him as a Packers head coach and uh, was not effective as a coach at all, um, just to be completely blunt, but an absolute mauler of an offensive line. I've actually got a picture on my wall I've, uh, in, in my game room here in my studio. I've got one side of the, the room is de- is dedicated to Curly Lambeau's Packers and the other side is dedicated to Vince Lombardi's Packers. I got pictures of Lambeau as a player and a coach, Lombardi as a, a player and a coach, actually as him a, a picture of him as an offensive lineman at Fordham down in the three-point stance. Dude looks like he's about to rip somebody's head off. It's awesome. But on this wall, the picture I've got of Forrest Gregg, he's completely covered in mud. You can Google that image too. It's a really, really cool shot. But I've got Forrest Gregg coming in at number one. He was actually drafted in the second round of the 1956 draft, and he was the 20th overall pick. So right there, Forrest Gregg drafted 20th overall in the 1956 draft. He actually, under his belt, had three NFL championships okay moving on to number two center Jim Ringo Jim Ringo doesn't get a lot of love because you know the the main play we mentioned in the intro there with Vince Lombardi's voiceover was uh, of the Packers sweep and Ringo was not a huge part of that playing center right but he anchored that uh that that Packer offensive line for so long for so long he was drafted in the seventh round the 79th pick in the 1953 draft, and he actually has two championships under his belt. At number three, we're really turning back the clock here. Mike Machalski, all-pro guard. This guy, they said he set the tone for Curly Lambeau's teams in his running game. Uh, Mike Machalski actually predates the draft, so this was a player that was simply signed by Curly Lambeau. A really cool movie you might want to check out. It's called Leatherheads. I don't know if you've seen it. It's got George Clooney in it. It's based uh, loosely off of several different characters throughout the history of the NFL. And his character, George Clooney's character in that movie, they wanted to use the Green Bay Packers, but they ended up going with the Duluth Bulldogs. But his character, they say, is based off of Curly Lambeau, simply because Lambeau was such a smooth talker. He would go sign these great players away from teams like the New York Giants, right? Teams that, you know, the amount of fans that fit into Yankee Stadium – um, it basically exceeded the entire population of Green Bay, but somehow Curly Lambeau got people like Mike Machalski to come play for him. 
right? But uh, it's important to mention, like I said, it's pre-draft, but Mike Machowski also had three championships during his playing day. So these guys are all winners, and that's something that goes into the criteria for me as, uh, you know, as defining a great player is uh, is players that, you know, they get the job done, players that know how to finish, players that, that are winners, you know, at all levels. So uh, at number four, I know you're going to know this name. Um, he actually went to the Hall of Fame there. I believe it was a couple years ago. Gave, gave an awesome, awesome Hall of Fame speech. That's guard Jerry Kramer. Um, you know, one of Vince Lombardi's favorite players, a guy that that kind of broke the mold and start, and be, helped tell the, the story of the NFL before it was popular. He wrote a book called Instant Replay. They got highly criticized by his peers, and I think it's one of the reasons why he was kept out of the Hall of Fame for so long because he kind of took you behind those closed doors and told those stories of playing for Vince Lombardi and playing for the Green Bay Packers and and all that. But Jerry Kramer was drafted in the fourth round in the 1958 draft. He was the number 39 overall pick. And Jerry Kramer leads all of these offensive linemen in championships. He has five NFL championships. Think about that. That was a guy who was named to the all, I think it was the all, um, definitely the all-decade team, but I believe it was like the 50-year anniversary team, like the greatest players in a 50-year stint of the NFL. He was named on that team and still wasn't in the Hall of Fame. He had five championships and still wasn't in the Hall of Fame, so it was great to see him finally get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, Moving on to number five, and the last one on my list here is tackle Cal Hubbard. Cal Hubbard was pre-draft as well, but Cal Hubbard was one of the uh, one of the greatest players to ever play under Curly Lambeau. They said he could do so much more than just play offensive line, but he was an exceptional athlete. He was very large, um, you know, body for for that time um, in the NFL. But he actually finished with four championships under his belt. So just to recap, my top five: tackle Forrest Gregg at number one, center Jim Ringo at number two. Guard Mike Machowski at number three, guard Jerry Kramer at number four, and tackle Cal Hubbard at number five. Of those players combined, there's they had what five, eight, thirteen, I believe seventeen championships total, right? And some of those overlap. They, you know, obviously the Packers haven't won seventeen championships, but it's pretty remarkable to think that um, that those those players themselves uh, have that many many championships under their belt. It's it's uh, it's awesome. So what we're going to do now is jump into the highest graded offensive lineman from the most recent NFL drafts. And I hope you enjoyed that segment. We want to tie in a little history moving forward. And who knows, it may morph into something bigger and we have just a history show. That would be cool as well. But uh, uh, now we're going to jump into modern day. All right, what were the best offensive linemen taken last year in the draft? And the year before, and when I say best, I mean PFF grade, how they performed on the field last year as rookies, and then how the class of 2020 performed on the field last year in their quote-unquote sophomore season. But first, let's grab a, a quick break. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, so the point of this segment is really to prove uh, and, and kind of point out where players were taken um, in last year's draft and the year before to kind of see and get a gauge of, okay, can you find good talent later in the draft at different positions? What we found with wide receiver is absolutely you can. You can find great talent in the second round. The Packers have done it over and over and over. The PFF grades suggest that there was great value in the second round both uh, both last year's draft and 2020. Um, so we're going to now look into the offensive line. We're going to start with offensive tackle for the 2021 season, okay, Um, or the 2021 draft class, rather. And here are their PFF grades. Coming in at number one, had an excellent year, was Rayshon Slater of the L.A. Chargers, right? He graded out at an 83.6, which is unbelievable as a rookie. That has all the makings of an elite offensive lineman um, moving forward. Now, who knows what he's going to do in the future? If he keeps this up, he's going to be one of those top five linemen. I think he ranked number eight in all of the entire NFL at offensive tackle last year. He was drafted in the first round, pick number 13. At number two last year at the tackle position, you got Panay Sewell from Detroit, graded out as a 77.0, which is another really, really good grade as a rookie. Uh, he was drafted in the first round, number seven overall. Um, at number three, we have Samuel Cosme, I think I'm saying his name correctly, of the Washington uh, Commanders. He graded out as a 74.9, and he was drafted, listen to this, guys, in the second round, pick number 51, okay? Um, great, great value there at the offensive tackle position in the second round. At number four, we've got Christian Derisaw from those yucky Minnesota Vikings, grading out at a 71.9. And he was drafted in the first round, pick 23. Okay, so that was your offensive tackle position. Um, Just a quick recap from last year's draft. These were rookies that were starting. You had, of the top four that graded out with really, really good grades, you had three 
in the first round and one in the second. So I, I want to point this out because, you know, when we looked at receiver, you could find some really good value later there in the second round. In this case, only one of these four players fell to the second round. So staying with the 2021 draft, we're now going to jump over to the guard position and let's get a kind of a gauge on that and see what players really stood out um, that were rookies starting last year. Now, I apologize for the background noise. You know, I mentioned the Minnesota Vikings for two seconds. The neighbor's dog just goes absolutely ballistic. So I probably need to get him a cheese head, to be honest with you. But moving on to guard, uh, last year's draft, rookies coming in at number one, you had the Kansas City Chiefs guard, Trey Smith. He graded out as a 72.8. And he was drafted, listen to this, in the sixth round, pick number 227. All right. Uh, moving on to number two, grading out at 69.6, still a solid grade for a rookie. We see what we're finding digging back into the PFF grades from rookie seasons are uh, rookies that finish in the graded in the 60s typically turn out to be really, really good NFL players, you know, year two, year three, year four. And that gives us a lot of hope for people like Stokes and, and you know, pl players like that, like Amari Rogers, who graded in, graded in the 60s, even though he had limited snaps. I think it's important to kind of um, create that relativity uh, when it comes to players and, and how they're graded their rookie year. But number two was Landon Dickerson. He came in at a 69.6. He was drafted in the second round, pick 37. Number three, we've got Quinn Menares, I believe is how you say his name. He was from Denver, and he graded out as a 67.4, and he was taken in the third round, pick 99. We're not going to go any lower because we're now getting into the lower 60s, but those top three picks, Trey Smith from Kansas City, Landon Dickerson from Philadelphia, Quinn Menares from Denver, all um, graded out really, really good. As rookie guards, they were drafted in the sixth round, pick 227, second round, pick 37, third round, pick 99. So um, just to show you guards, you can really get later in the draft and get great, great value for those players. Let's jump over to center. And guys, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you're not going to like this information at all. Something stood out to me that really kind of was like, oh man, that hurts. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb. At number one, the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know who's drafting for the Kansas City Chiefs, but they know how to pick offensive linemen. I'll tell you that. At number one, rookie center Creed Humphrey, okay, drafted last year, graded out at a 91.8. He was drafted the second round, pick 63. And in my mind, as I'm reading these numbers, I'm thinking Elton Jenkins. Elton Jenkins fell in the draft, and when we took him, everybody was like, oh, my gosh. I, I remember people grumbling over them taking Elton Jenkins. Why are we taking a center? The dude has been nothing but a stud ever since. It's obvious that the scouting department seen and recognized that he could play multiple positions. If you would tell me right now, we can draft a center, and he can play left tackle and do it at an all-pro level, I would say you've lost your mind. That's exactly what Elton Jenkins has done. I think it's important to go through these numbers and kind of see how these players do. So again, a 91.8. Guys, he was the number one graded center in the entire NFL last year, and he was a rookie that was taken in the second round, pick 63. This is where it gets ugly. This is going to hurt. It's normally the only player I would mention at the center position, right? But I'm going to mention one more. Josh Myers from Green Bay. Josh Myers, Green Bay's rookie center last year, graded out at a 
It doesn't mean he's a bust. It doesn't mean he's going to be a horrible player moving forward. To me, it does mean that they they drafted him in the thoughts of he could be a starting caliber player, which he did start when he wasn't hurt, and he did not perform. He, he may come out this year and play like gangbusters. Let's pray it happens. But the number that hurts, not the 54.9. He was taken in the second round, pick 62. I, I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, I've had people kind of come at me and say, all you do is talk good about the Packers. You don't ever criticize what they do bad. I'm going to criticize them for a second. Guys, one pick later, the best center in the entire NFL was drafted. Okay, so I think it's important to mention that. And he's a year younger. Um, but, again, it should give you hope because we have an offensive line hole that we need filled this year, right? And these this player was taken in the second round. When we hop back over to guard, what was the uh, the other player? Was it the sixth round, I believe? Let me go back real quick. Yeah, uh, Trey Smith taken in the sixth round. We can get really solid offensive line talent at the guard and center position from the second round on if the scouting department has done their due diligence and done it correctly. Hopefully they don't fall in love with freak athletes on the offensive line as much in the future because that, to me, doesn't seem to pan out. You know, David Bakhtiari coming out, I've heard a lot of people say David Bakhtiari wasn't tall enough. The dude's arguably the best pass-blocking left tackle in the entire NFL. Let's hope he's healthy this year. But sometimes I think they can fall in love with the athletic ability and the freak, you know, natural talent that these offensive linemen get when really it comes down to just pushing a big body out of the way, getting in the way, and creating a barrier between the quarterback, right? Um, But Trey Smith, again, a six-round pick. So let's move on to draft year 2020, and let's see how those – offensive linemen did and where they were drafted uh you know that year and this is going to be their grade for last season in the nfl okay as we jump in to the 2020 draft sorry for the clicking but coming in at number one we have tristan Wirfs from tampa bay 84.3 he was taken in the first round. These are offensive tackles. And I think it's important to to, to kind of look back and realize Garden Center can be taken later, but all the good offensive tackles that graded out well last year were actually taken in the first round. So that's important to note here that it's very seldom that a good offensive tackle falls beyond the first round. So, um, again, Tristan Wurst at number one, 84.3. He was drafted in the first round, pick 13. At number two, you've got Andrew Thomas from the New York Giants. He graded out as 78.9, and he was taken in the first round, pick number four. Okay, So I'm not going to go any further. Those are the only two players from the 2020 NFL Draft at the offensive tackle position that graded above a 70 on PFF. And it being their sophomore year, I think they should have already taken that step into that 70 range, and that's the reason we're not going to go any further there. So let's move on to guards from the 2020 NFL Draft. And who we have here is Michael Owenu. From New England at number one, 86.7. Okay, a guard. You're going to see a trend here, guys. You should get excited about it. Michael Owenu from New England, drafted in 2020 at the guard position. Last year in the NFL, he graded out as an 86.7. He was drafted in the sixth round, pick 182. Could you imagine 
if we had drafted, uh, you already got, you know, Elton Jenkins, David Bakhtiari. What if you pick this guy up in the fifth round and he graded out of 86.7? There's gems out there, guys. There's players out there that to be had at the guard and center position late in the draft, and you can get great, great value for them. And, and in some cases, people like Michael Owen who can slide over to tackle and fill that swing tackle role if you uh, do hit a little patch of injury. But coming in at number two, Jack Driscoll from Philadelphia graded out at a 70.5. He was taken in the fourth round, pick 145. Moving on to center. Let's see if the trend continues here from the 2020 draft. And in first place, there's only one player that actually graded out above a 70. That's Matt Hennessy from the Atlanta Falcons. He graded out a 77.1. He was drafted in the third round, pick 78. So, recap, guys. Why do we do these exercises? We've got the draft coming up. You might be creating a draft board. You might just be following along with some of the quote-unquote experts. But what we want to do is kind of get a broad picture of where are good players at specific positions actually drafted. And what we're finding is at receiver, you can get great talent in the second round. You don't necessarily have to jump in the first round. Although if you got the draft capital and you want to go for a slam dunk superstar, just understand you're putting all your eggs in that one basket. Now at offensive line, if you're wanting an offensive tackle, you're going to really have to jump up there in the first round and be aggressive because not it's very seldom that a good offensive tackle falls to the later rounds, at least in the last you know, the last two years, this is a two-year saturation of the NFL draft and how did players fall. Now, guard and center, you you can pretty much pick them wherever you want. You're looking at great players from anywhere from the second round to the sixth round um, in the last two drafts. I think it's important to kind of draw that parallel and see where these players are taken because it's my opinion, I know J.J. Leahy uh, tends to agree, um, I feel like our top two needs are wide receiver and offensive line, and those are interchangeable. And what I mean by that is the the need is just as great at offensive line as it is at wide receiver. Um, and how does the board fall? Where Where is the best players, the top-tier players, the top-tier players at the wide receiver and offensive line position? Where do they fall this year? Well, we're going to talk about that later uh, on later podcasts when it comes to the draft board and how prospects are looking. But it's of my opinion that if the if a top tier offensive tackle is available and a top tier wide receiver is available, what I'm looking at is how many top tier players are at the wide receiver position and the offensive tackle position this year. And you go with the lesser of the two. Because then you have an opportunity that if the other player falls, when that other let's say, let me give you an example. Let's say there's one wide receiver or uh, let's say there's two wide receivers on the board in the top tier and only one offensive tackle in the top tier, right? And it comes your pick. You've got those three players to choose from in your top tier. I'm going with the offensive tackle. And then I am sitting there right by the phone, and the second that that one of those two top tier wide receivers are taken, I'm on the horn with whoever's on the clock looking to trade up and nab that second top tier player before he gets gone. Okay, now it may become a scenario, and this is highly likely with where the Packers are sitting unless they trade up, that when when they're on the clock and they're ready to draft, that there might just be an offensive tackle sitting there in a top tier. Take him in the first round because history suggests, and history dictates the future, history suggests that you better take that offensive tackle early. Now, another opportunity, though, let's say it comes down to wide receiver and offensive tackle in the top tier. Okay, let's say you get to that point. 
When you get to that point, you've got to make a decision. Okay, we've got Elton Jenkins over here. Ryan done a great job in the last podcast talking about how Elton Jenkins could slide to right tackle. So you technically have another tackle on your team. Remember what we said about late round guard and center picks. What I would like to see happen in that scenario is go ahead and nab the receiver in that scenario. We're going to plan on kicking Elton Jenkins to right tackle. It's not going to affect what his new contract's going to be. I'm going to tell you why. He's already got it on tape that he's an elite left tackle. He's already getting the bag, guys. We're already going to pay the, pay the guy a ton of money when we go to re-sign. Go ahead, kick him to right tackle, take the wide receiver that's in the top tier, and then in your next few picks, try to fill that offensive line out. Maybe you take another swing at receiver, two swings at guard, and you're off to the races. You've got a, a, a real opportunity, unless you trade up and you eat your seed, unless you trade up, and spend a, a boatload of capital to get up and get one of those quote-unquote superstars that, let's be honest, nobody knows if they're superstars. We'll see how they adjust to the NFL game. I would rather you, rather see them take an offensive tackle or a wide receiver there and then an offensive tackle if available. If not, then load up on guard, get your second shot at wide receiver, and now you're filling the rest of the void of your team. You're filling out depth. You're looking for edge rusher. You're looking for defensive line depth, all those things. So um, I think this is a cool exercise just to kind of showcase how things can fall in the draft. And I think it's really, really important to kind of keep it in context that, again, if you're going to take an offensive tackle, if uh, don't, don't get caught reaching. Don't go down a tier because history says that – the better tackles are gone after that first round. You may hit, you know, might, you may strike gold on uh, on David Bakhtiari at left tackle. You may do it, but the numbers are really stacked against you. And I think Goody has done his due diligence, and he knows exactly what it is he's looking for as far as a prospect. So. One thing that I don't want to get lost in this segment is the fact that some of these players coming out of college were actually offensive tackles, and when they made it to the NFL, they were changed to guard. So you're going to see with some of the information that we're about to present you guys where um, you know, you, you've got tackles coming into this year's draft that may essentially play guard, and that's why I really want to stress that we could possibly move Elton Jenkins to right tackle so you don't have to take a swing on an early first-round pick to make sure you land an effective tackle. You've already got one on your team that's going to get paid as such. But one thing that always comes into play is snap count. How, how often did these players take snaps? at the guard position, at the tackle position. It's kind of universal knowledge that a player can go from tackle to guard, but it's sometimes rare that a guard you know, can move from guard to tackle. Um, but I think that's worth noting for sure. Now, hopefully the audio quality doesn't dip too bad with the program we're using for this next segment. All right, guys, now joining us on the line. I'm really excited about this. We've got a, a guy that's a part of the Packernet Podcast uh, family. His name is Jacob. He's actually a Wisconsin native. And he's been working behind the scenes on social media, uh, doing some other things with pristine auctions, giving away Packer memorabilia um, aspects uh, in that regard, um, you know, for Packernet podcast for really the last three years, he's been helping with social media. So this is a guy that's, you know, been in the game way longer than I have, obviously being the rookie on the team. I'm waiting for that hazing to hit on me too, man. I'm kind of nervous about that, but uh, if you guys would help, help me uh, welcome in Jacob and Jacob, just to kind of kick things off, man, tell me, um, you know, how did you become a Packers fan? Uh, well, thank you, me, Clayton. Uh, became a Packers fan pretty much, I'd say straight out of the womb, pretty much. My uh, family's born in Wisconsin. My grandfather's been here. Father's been here when I 
I mean, literally grew up three, three years old. My first memory is having a, you know, Packer jersey thrown over me. And we watched, I don't, I don't think I've missed a game since I was five. I mean, literally like five years old. I remember being a dedicated Packer. Young, young. That is awesome, dude. That, and it, that's the majority of the stories I hear about in Wisconsin. They were talking about so many people, so many grown adults now are named Brett because of Brett Favre. It's not even <laughs> the state of Wisconsin. But, uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Well, guys, the reason I got Jacob on is because we've been having some really good conversations about offensive line uh, prospects. And, you know, this whole episode was dedicated to the offensive line. And, and we had talked about where can you find good talent within the draft for, for the offensive line position and how do tackles, guards, and centers kind of come into the fold. And uh, he's he's basically found five prospects. And uh, after us chatting about it a little bit, I was like, dude, we got to get you on the show and talk about this. So uh, we're just going to kind of dive into it. Here's five names that aren't necessarily um, highly touted prospects that, that, in my opinion, will at least fall into the second round should someone not you know jump up and maybe reach on them a bit. But uh, let's just start here, Jacob, with uh, Tyler Smith, offensive tackle out of Tulsa. How do you feel about Tyler and, and what's some things that kind of that kind of stand out to you? Yeah, so Tyler Smith was a guy that I really didn't look at much at all. I honestly, I haven't looked at a lot of the guys in the top and top top 20, just because I don't feel like we're going to get there. But this is a guy that isn't really going to be in that range, but might be in a range and, and people just aren't really talking about him, which is interesting because he he's a beast at run blocking. Uh, basically, it says that Neil Nor Iquanu, I believe, led the FBS in big time blocks last season. It wasn't that Smith. Tyler Smith is a beast. Um, that's according to Ian Cummings. But basically, the guy, he's 6'6", 332. He's got an RAS of 8.76, which that you know size is pretty impressive. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's only 21 years old. He just turned 20. So, I mean, that's a big deal there. He's got a run block grade of 93.9. You know, beast. And the coolest thing about him is his overall grades have steadily progressed from 2019 to 20. So we went from a 74.8 to an 86.2. Now this last year is a 92.1. So he's showing progress. And the other thing about him, it's interesting because Ryan on a recent episode was talking about how offensive linemen uh, fluctuate through positions quite normally. And it's kind of like, you know, not a big deal that happens, which I'm not going against Ryan, the Act daddy, of course not. I'm not going <laughs> to naysay him, but I have randomly picked five guys that kind of don't fit that bill. So, for instance, uh, Tyler Smith here, he's played 203 snaps at left tackle in 2019, zero other snaps at any other position. 2020, 665, only two at left guard. And then 2021, 908 snaps at left tackle, zero at any other position. So, uh, a little bit of a an anomaly there, I guess, but he's projected in the late second, maybe early third round. So uh, he's, awesome. he's known for being kind of a beast. He's, he's got like grip strength. Apparently he's got the finisher mentality. So uh, a lot of these guys are going to be kind of more run dominant because I feel it's just my opinion that that is kind of the, the direction that Matt LaFleur wants to bring this offense, especially now that Devontae has gone maybe try to get some big beasts moving rounds, but they going under punch people. 
Absolutely. I completely agree in that regard. And just to kind of look at the consensus big board with Tyler Smith, he's currently sitting at the 80th spot. It says he's recently up two spots, but he did peak at one point at 58. So for some reason, he fell to 80 on the consensus big board. That may uh, be a good sign that he might be available there later in the draft. So uh, moving along to the next prospect you like. That's a Darian Kennard out of Kentucky, offensive tackle. That's my home state. Anytime I see a wildcat popping into anybody's, you know, top five or maybe five prospects to watch, I get really, really excited. When Randall Cobb was drafted, the Green Bay Packers, dude, I was sitting at a crab shack, right? And we were we were covered in crab juice. You know, we're like, we're just, you know, a bunch of pigs there sitting there eating dinner. And my buddy looked over and said, you can't believe this, man. They just drafted Randall Cobb. I was like, are you serious? I was fired up. So when it comes to Darius uh, or Darian Kennard out of Kentucky, tell me a little bit about him. All right. So offensive tackle, he's a senior. He's 22.3 years old, which, you know, whatever. Um, 6'5", 345. He's got an RAS of 5.78. So it's not necessarily – I'll admit I'm a sucker for RAS and I'm a sucker for big dudes that can move quick. So, you know, with that, that, that being said um, – he is known as one of the most accomplished run blockers at the tackle position. Uh, he has earned at least an 89 run blocking grade over the past three years. When you look at his PFF grades over that season grade, it goes from an 89.2, which is already great. That's 11th out of 443 tackles. He jumps up the next year to a 91.5. That's fifth out of 400. And then the next year, <laughs> jumps up to a 91.9, seventh out of 609 tackles. So, I mean... That's a guy that obviously he he apparently could have left, uh, I think it was last year, and he decided that he wanted to stay another year and kind of perfected the craft kind of thing. So uh, props to him. And again, so not to slap Ryan in the face too hard, but uh, he played 706 snaps in 2009, uh, yeah, 2019 at right tackle. He played 822 snaps in 2021 at right tackle. And in 2020, had 695 snaps at right tackle with only two snaps at right guard. That's it. So, wow. And he's projected as a fourth round from PFF, but others are saying he could maybe even sneak in the second, the third, if he played a fourth. Nice. Good stuff. And and when I'm looking at Dar Darian Kennard here on uh, the uh, consensus big board, he's currently at 66, and it's showing that he actually peaked at 21. So seems like uh, – wow people seem to think of him a little higher than Tyler Smith. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, yeah, that, that kind of surprises me that he got up that high, but he, a uh, couple other little quick notes. He only allowed one pressure in his final five career games and he had 14 career starts with over an eight point overall grade. Pretty impressive guy. I, I haven't seen many other offensive linemen that, that grade out like this. No, absolutely. They are saying that he might get kicked inside to guard. If he doesn't have the athleticism, but. We'll see. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of goes hand in hand with what we've talked about on this episode, you know, and, you know, being a Kentucky fan, that's exactly how we looked at Kennard coming back um, and playing for the Wildcats again, because it was like he could have went on to the draft. He could have went on and made money. And it says a lot about a person that he wants to come back and kind of um, he's got kind of some unfinished business. To me, it says, yes, you want to improve your draft stock, but at the same time, your teammates meant something to you. The program meant something to you. Maybe you had that bond with the coach. I'm looking for those type of players personally. I'm not looking for Antonio Brown to go streaking across the uh, end zone with his shirt off. You know what I'm saying? So I really like team players. That's good stuff, man. Um, moving on to Wait, the uh, – Clay, did you say that you're from the South? 
Yeah, I'm actually, I was born and raised in Kentucky, but I live in Tennessee. No, I couldn't tell by your voice is what I mean. Oh, okay, got you. I appreciate (laughs) (laughs) it. I always, it's funny, man, when I speak to the business teams and do speaking engagements, that's the first thing I lead off with is, listen, you're going to find out real quick, I am not a professional speaker, and I speak English (laughs) at third grade level. So there's a lot of words that might have, you know, three and four syllables that I put into one. We just kind of let it roll. So, (laughs) well, you heard it right there, kind of, right? I don't even know how to spell kind of, but that's just how we talk. So anyway, um, (laughs) moving on to the third prospect. And it's funny, we just mentioned, you know, that I don't speak good English. I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's last name. It's Luke, and you say the last name for me. Maybe you can help me there. Yeah, Luke Gadecki. Gadecki, got it. All right, cool. And he is a tackle slash guard, is that right, out of Central Michigan? Well, he played basically – tackle predominantly um for central michigan which if you guys probably realize that the other higher touted tackle is that bernhard ryman raymond whatever you say uh mm-hmm. which is interesting because just off the bat i was reading about how a supposed nfl insider you know all roller eye that um but they, apparently this guy was an ex-gm or a former gm said that in his opinion that luke gadecki is going to be much better have a longer career in NFL than Raymond uh, for whatever reason, which I'm also uh, interested in this guy because he is a Wisconsin native. He was born in my hometown of Appleton, Wisconsin. He's 6'5", 312 pounds. The only knock on him, I should say the only, he goes to a smaller school, obviously, but doesn't seem to be knocking the other guy that much. Uh, He's 23.4 years of age, which I know Ryan just had a little feel about how we shouldn't get hung up on age and i agree with that Uh, but he is a little bit older Um, another thing that's kind of interesting about this guy is he's a converted tight end he actually played tight end at the collegiate level he played at uh he got his start at uw stevens point and then he transferred over to central michigan so um and what's interesting again about this dude is in 2019 playing the first year of his life at that position he got an 81.4 grade. Of 2020, he had a knee injury. But then 2021, he comes back and shoots a 92.2 grade. And that's fifth wow. out of 609 tackles. He's opposite, like I said, of that was arguably the best tackle duel in football last year in college football with Central Michigan, which again, they're, they're playing lesser competition, but whatever. Again, then he's going to be projected as a third to fourth round pick. Nice. Good stuff. And you, you mentioned um, someone that, that some scouts felt like he was he would have a better long-term you know uh career than was bernhard raymond bernhard raymond is currently ranked at 43 on the consensus big board he peaked at 32 and then if you look at luke gadecki the uh, prospect that jacob just highlighted um he's actually currently sitting at 140 but he peaked at 105 so uh definitely man um if if scouts are saying that he may be a better long-term um, you know, choice possibly than Bernhard Raymond, then there's a big, big difference there between 43 and 140. There may be some great value there a little bit later, as you were saying. So good stuff, man. Um, moving on to the next guy is the guard out of Minnesota. And you're going to help have to help me with this name too. Is it Blaze Andres? Is that right? I believe it's, yeah, I believe it's Blaze. Not a normal name, but, and this is one that <laughs> I'm a little iffy on, but there's a couple of reasons why I thought maybe it might make sense. One, he's 6'6", 335. He's got an RAS of 9.81. C 
senior, so he's a little bit yeah. older. He's got 23.8 years, but his hometown is in Marshall, Minnesota, which if you know anything about where we are, that's not too far from Green Bay. That's if you can drive there in a day, no problem. Um, he started off raw in 2019. He was a 60.2 grade, not great. 2020, he jumps up to an 82.5. And in 2021, jumps up to 85.6. And his run blocking grade, again, he's, he's pretty balanced. He's got an 83.9, 80.7 against the pass. And what's interesting about this guy is now to actually agree with Ryan. In 2019, he played 562 snaps at left guard, racked up another 56 at left tackle. 2020, he had an off year because I believe he may have been hurt. Uh, but 2021, then he goes 152 snaps at left tackle and then does 621 at right guard. So he is one of those guys that has played around a little bit. He also did a few stints at right tackle. So he's kind of one of more of those, one of more of those prototypical linemen that has played multiple positions. Um, a couple things on him. He could be as late as a seventh round pick or a UDFA, which the only reason I'm kind of highlighting that and the way and the fact that he lives Marshall is, you know, those guys, they don't really have the luxury of being able to shop themselves around the country. And being that he's so close to Green Bay, I could see him maybe being a, an undrafted free agent that maybe slides into the practice squad and maybe does well for a few years and eventually becomes a backup. So I'm not saying this guy's going to be great or like that, but he can be a puzzle piece. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, that's good stuff, man. I like how you tied those two in there together. You know, him being somewhat of a, a pipeline type prospect and where he's actually located. And then also we know how much Brian Gutekunst and the Green Bay staff really like versatility on the offensive line with the way they shifted around Elton Jenkins, um, obviously John Runyon hopping back and forth. You've seen that over and over and over throughout uh, the course of time. And, and I see exactly what you're talking about because on the consensus big board, he's currently sitting at number 356 but he peaked at 176. So there's a big, big difference there. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see if he gets drafted, like you were saying, he, you know, it could be as low as an undrafted player. It could be as high as, what did you say? Did you say a third round? Did I hear that right? Uh, yes. Yep. Cool. That's awesome, man. Good stuff. Or, I'm sorry. No, Blaze, Blaze, Blaze is not going to be a third round. He's more of a late, late round guy who might be a UDFA. So that's gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He's currently sitting at 356, but peaked at 176. So, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be cool, man. That's going to be very, very interesting to see if he gets drafted. And especially with that versatility, one thing's for sure, it's almost a slam dunk that if he doesn't get drafted, he is going to get signed as an undrafted free agent, no doubt, with that versatility, that size. So, because, right. dude, uh, moving on to the last prospect here, um, and, and a lot of Wisconsin natives like yourself probably getting excited because he played at Wisconsin, right? He's offensive tackle. Is it Logan Bruss or Bruce, or how do you say that? Yeah, I think it's Bruss. I believe so. And I have to make a correction on myself. I made one mistake here. Uh, mm -hmm. He is from Appleton, Wisconsin. Gadecki is also a Wisconsin native, but he is born or he is from Appleton, Wisconsin, not from where I was born. So I gotcha. make that correction quick. But this guy, um, he's not the most impressive at all but he is just kind of a mauler he's a, just a big beast um started in 2019 he had a 74.9 grade kind of took a small step backwards in 2020 at 72.9 which is you know decent he's going against big 10 competition that means going against your aiden hutch penn state guy that i can't califanakis zach galifianakis and <laughs> then 2021 he jumps up to 82.5 so he's 30 33rd out of 609 tackles. And I mean, Big Ten has got some serious competition. You got Boye Mafe in there. 
Um, the only thing that I can find on him, I shouldn't say the only thing, but one of the main concerns about him is that he has trouble handling the super quick NFL edge rusher, which is basically the direction that teams are going. So foot speed and quickness are very good, but they're not elite. Another thing about him is they say he has a really above average football smart and general intelligence. And the fact, again, that he's a Wisconsin native, you know, I just, it just seems like it kind of clicks. He's 6'5", 309. He's got an RAS of 8.73, uh, predominantly played offensive tackle for Wisconsin, but they're thinking that he may again get kicked inside the guard. They got him listed as a seventh round prop. Got it. Good stuff, man. Yeah, and on the consensus big board, currently sits at number 273, but peaked at 145. Um, and they actually have him listed as an interior offensive lineman, but we know very versatile, uh, you know, the same as uh, as Blaze there. So that's good stuff, man. You say he's from Appleton, is that right? Yes, sir. That's cool, man, because the first trip I ever took to Green Bay was to watch the Packers-Bears play. I believe it was in 2003 or 2004. I can't remember the exact year. But we we just, you know, me and my, my you know, at the time she was my girlfriend. She's my wife now. You know, we were just dating. We were, you know, a couple broke kids trying to figure out how the heck we were going to make it in the world. We said, all right, let's, let's grab some Packer tickets. Let's drive up. We drove up 13 hours and we stayed in Appleton because it was way, way cheaper to stay in Appleton rather than Green Bay around the stadium. And uh, I'll never forget that trip, dude. Appleton was a pretty cool little place, man. It was a good little town. Yeah, it's uh, I haven't I moved away when I was three. So now I live in Hudson, which is basically literally on the border of Minnesota and Wisconsin, which my whole life I've been pestered by Viking fans that just still they're the <laughs> everybody, everybody talks about Bears fans being, you know, I respect Bears and I just feel bad for Lions fans, but I absolutely cannot stand Viking fans. They are just so cocky and arrogant and they just, ugh, I can't. Yeah, dude, I'm right there with you. Like one of the games that I went to was actually Aaron Rodgers' first start. It was Monday Night Football against the Vikings at Lambeau. And I'm with you. Like when it comes to the Bears, I respect those fans. Like they were they were really, really cool to me when I met Bears fans. It's kind of this mutual respect. You know, both teams have championships. Both teams have kind of, you know, put their stamp on NFL history books. And then the Lions fans is just like, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad for you guys, too. Like this is horrible. <laughs> I mean, it, it is as bad as it gets. But when it comes to Viking fans, oh, my God, they were obnoxious. And we're sitting there about 13 rows from – we're right next to the players tunnel, 13 rows from the field there in the corner of the end zone. And there's this one Vikings fan that showed up with his girlfriend. Right. And they look like the all American couple. You know, both of them were blonde hair, blue eyed. They were, you know, good looking, a good looking couple. Um, he had a, a authentic Jared Allen jersey on. Right. And he was you know, he kind of looked like he had a weak chin. So we knew we didn't have anything to worry about him getting too cocky. But as the game went on, he kept drinking and drinking and drinking. Right. And eventually. We started doing a go pack go chant. He takes his Jared Allen jersey off, throws it on the field, a $200 jersey, right? Throws it on the field, puts his arm around me and starts screaming, go pack go with us. <laughs> and literally, his girlfriend gets up out of her seat, walks down to the field to the security guard, you know, to the railing. He hands her the jersey. He storms out of there. 20 minutes later, he realizes, where did she go? He's, he, I mean, he's so drunk. He looks back at her and goes, I don't know how I'm getting back home. <laughs> It was awesome, dude. But yeah, you're right. They, uh, they came in there and they had the horns in front of us, you know, on the helmets sitting in front of us. I'm like, dude, get your horns out of the way. I can't even see the feel like they're obnoxious. So yeah, it's always fun to uh, 
One of my greatest moments as a Packer fan, Jacob, was watching Brett Favre throw that interception in the NFC Championship for the Vikings. Like, oh, yeah. Me. I think I got more excited about watching that interception than I did the Packers winning the Super Bowl in 2010 or 2011, whenever it was. It was, yeah, it's good stuff. But uh, Yeah, same thing I felt every time Longwell missed a field goal, every time Greg Jennings dropped the pass, and it's how I feel every time Darius Smith miss, misses the tackle. Oh, dude, yeah, I am totally with you. It's going to be so fun to root against him this year and uh, and to kind of see that rivalry reach didn't, a little bit. Didn't Chandon go over there too? He did, yeah. And Chandon actually, I think he made a little, you know, smart aleck comment on Twitter too. So uh, there's going to be – Dude, there's going to be some uh, some bitterness on that field when the Vikings Packers play this year. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. So, yeah. um, but dude, thank you so much for joining us, man. This was great. We're going to do this more often. I'm going to tell you right now. I know people get tired of hearing my redneck uh, accent for sure, and it's nice to get some some Wisconsin natives in to uh, to kind of help straighten out the lingo a little and uh, and maybe even. Um, I don't know, translate for me, but uh, it's funny. The first episode I ever did, you know, Ryan calls himself the resident fanalist, and I said I was a redneck fanalist, so we might have to go back. I like that. Got to keep that, yep. yeah. Yeah, man, I, I'm born with it. Might as well uh, try to use it to your advantage, right? So, anyway. Well. <laughs> well, dude, thanks so much for joining us, man, and uh, we'll do this again soon. Guys, that's Jacob from Packernet Podcast. Thanks for all you do, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate your time. Um, and it was it was a blast breaking down the offensive linemen in this coming draft. I think Jacob's really highlighting some gems there at the end. And uh, we're going to move on to another position next week when we get into the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, give us a like. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Packers underscore access. As always, um, be blessed and go Pack Go. That's the best one right there.